Today's reading is from the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius, governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone all around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
I'm going to talk loudly, and then it's going to kick in, and then there we go. All right. It's good. Good work. Um, I'll just use the podium mic. Yep, let's do it. But I'm going to mute this one just in case. You know what's great about the Christmas story? They didn't have to deal with this. Like, there's just... It, um, and that's good news for all of us. So in a world that often feels disenchanted, as if it's closed off to anything remarkable at all happening, we get the Christmas story. And we're reminded that it's not closed to the work of God at all. And that is good news for us. Now, in a world that often feels disenchanted, I would imagine that there are some of you here because you believe and you say, absolutely, this is my story. Others think, no way. Could not be possible. Then there are those, maybe right in the middle, who think, man, I'd like to believe. It's just too good to be true. Good news is it's too good not to be true. For the next few minutes, this is what I want to do. I want to look at three familiar images from the scene we know so well and reflect on what they tell us about ourselves and about Emmanuel, God with us. Let's first look at the stable. Now, it's not hard for us to find it because it's so central to our imaginations of what this story is about. But you go back, it wasn't easy to locate. You'd have to look for it in the dark, around the corner, on the edge of the story. You'd have to go where the animals are, follow the smell. And then once you're there, what you'd come upon is this remarkable scene. Something you couldn't in your mind ever conceive of. Parents, a child, surrounded by the beasts of the earth. What is happening there? And why would anyone ever look in such an unsuspecting place for what the prophet Isaiah promised. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. So unsuspecting of a place to look for the hoped for king, for the Messiah, for the deliverer, for the one called the light of the world, surrounded there by the stench, by the dust, Yet right there, right there is the mystery and the beauty of Christmas. That it's in the dark that the light shines. And we're bound to miss it. We're bound to miss it if we fail to imagine those dust-covered, stench-filled places as an opportunity for the light to break through. We're bound to miss it if we could never imagine those impoverished places on the edge of our world, on the edge of our lives, as a place where Christ himself wants to be, as opportunities to witness the dawn. 
And so for those of you who imagine your lives, imagine the world as too dirty, as too lowly, as too dark or too on the edge for God to ever want to be the stable, the manger reminds us that there is no place God will not go. For you, for me, for the world. There is no place where Christ does not want to reside. He wants to be with us, near us, close to us. He wants to be in the world, remaking it, reforming it from the inside out. He wants the light of his light, the light of his life to shine through. Can you see it? Can you see it? That the stable reminds us of this type of God, this God who will go anywhere. In the words of Psalm 139, the poet says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn and if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. And if I say, which I think we all feel like saying sometimes, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me. But even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Even darkness, for the one we see in the manger, is as light. For darkness is as light to the one we see in Jesus. Let's now look at the child. Imagine the face, the face of this baby, possibly calm, but most likely crying, learning to breathe for the very first time. The eyes trying to acclimate because it's not used to such brightness. Those tiny arms and hands and feet, and toes, perhaps kicking and grasping, because this place is cold and unfamiliar. I mean, imagine the skull, so soft that to even hold it seems like an act of faith. And this is the incarnation. This is God with us in this child a baby born into the world through the all-too-common yet very risky moment of childbirth, a moment where anguish and precarity and joy and relief all come together in one moment. Moms, can I get an amen? What God is this that they would choose to enter the story in this way? that they would choose to take on our humanity with all of its extraordinary vulnerability and limitation. What type of God is this? I mean, can you, can you see it in the child, in its face, that we come face to face with a love that does not insist on its own way? 
a love that cannot demand but must be received coming humbly and gently into the world as a child. Can you see in the face of this baby the God who made all things wanting to come and make things new in this gentle, humble, completely vulnerable way. Going through the risk of childbirth, which some of you are all too, too aware of what that risk is. Coming into the world despite the risk of violence, into this world of this bloodthirsty empire, this threatened king who wants the life of this baby, and this child grows, and it breathes, and it learns in time how to walk and to communicate, first with sounds, then with words. This child encounters the possibility of illness, and in the process of recovery, this child works through the complexity of adolescence, the sometimes loneliness of young adulthood. This child experiences the grief and the sorrow and the tears of loss, but also the delight and the enjoyment and the laughter of relationship. I mean, this is a child that reveals the love of a God who knows us and who wants to get so desperately as humanly possible close to us. And I think if we're honest, that's a bit unnerving. It's a bit unnerving that God wants to get that close. An all-too-powerful, all-too-distant God, I know what to do with that type of God. I know, I know what to do with that type of God that when I, when I see things wrong and I ask for him to do things and he doesn't, I can dismiss and deny and reject. But a God who comes to be with us, near us, know us, when we pray to that God, in the face of whatever comes our way, we have a God who says, I know, and I'm with you, and I'm not going anywhere. That's a God that is sometimes hard to live with, that is sometimes hard for us to imagine. And that's why I think it's easier to imagine the God out there, very far away, not right here, with me and with you. We don't know what to do with a God who's determined to love us in this way. But see, the child reminds us that God refuses to love us abstractly. It's not what God wants to do. But sometimes it's a much safer prospect to be loved generally than to be loved specifically. For somebody to say, I love you, but then not know me, is easier to receive than a person who knows me inside and out and says, I love you. To be fully known and to be fully loved, it is what we most want and it is what we most resist. But God, being God, being the type of God that he is, motivated by the type of love that he has, came to us and said, no, I'm going to be with you in it. 
all the way in it, all the way through it. I know, God says. And when God says that he loves the world, that is what God means when he says he loves. And I wonder if even right now, some of you, you feel this light dawning in your life that you want so desperately for this to be true. You want to be fully known. You want to be fully loved. And maybe it's possible. My words to you is don't run away from it. Give yourself up to it. Up to this God who wants to love you in this way. Because in his light, God shines upon our humanity, lighting up every single crevice of our lives. All the things we'd love to, to maintain our hiddenness from, our secrecy with, and God, even there, maybe especially there, still loves us. Don't run from that love. It is a love that does not insist on its own way, so we can deny, we can run, we can abandon it. But it's what you're most looking for. I can guarantee it. It's what I most need. Let's look now at the parents. Look into their faces, look into their eyes. See the astonishment in their teenage eyes. The possible flood of panic that washes over them when they realize and they consider more fully what they've just been pulled into. This part of their story where they wonder, how did I get here? I mean, like any parent will tell you, guarantee any parent will tell you this, you cannot possibly know all that parenthood will entail, but the weight you feel in the beginning moments is undeniable. Now imagine that weight for those responsible for the one that we call the Son of God. Who are we, these parents wonder, that we could possibly be responsible for this child? But what type of God we wonder now on this side of the story would entrust themselves into the care of these two inexperienced parents. This God who entr would entrust themselves into our care. What type of God is this? Before Jesus did anything for humanity, he was held and nourished and protected and comforted by people with names. Mary and Joseph. That's astonishing. And the more you watch these two parents, the more perhaps you see yourselves reflected in them. Because they are a reflection of us, living witnesses to this God who would entrust himself and be so, so consumed with the idea of involving humanity in the redemption of the world, that this is what he chooses to do. 
entrust themselves into the care of these two parents. I mean, a God of unthinkable grace and patience, who out of his unthinkable love entrusts to us the light of the world, knowing full well that we will stumble our way through, that we will get it wrong, that we will make mistakes, and that many times we will not be up to the task at all. And yet, the God that we meet at Christmas is the God who entrusts himself who entrusts himself into our care. Again, astonishing. See, for those of us who believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, we believe the words that Jesus said to those who follow him, you are the light of the world. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, entrusting to us his very self that we might bear witness to the light. And again, such trust is hard to accept, which is why we might be tempted to distract ourselves from the Christmas story. Because if we really took it seriously, we'd have to grapple with the reality that God has involved us in what he's up to, in what he's doing, involving us into revealing and showing and bearing witness to his love, being this light in the world. That is just too much to take. That is just too much responsibility. I am not able to do it. To which the answer is, you are right, Daniel. You are not able to do it. You are right, church. You are not able to do it. Not on your own. It's an impossible task. But God is with us. We believe by his very spirit working with us and through us in order that we might actually bear witness to the light. So we can own, we can claim this thing, that, this, this idea that Jesus gives to us that you are the light of the world. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For it is the God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. May our hearts be so illuminated by the life and love of Jesus Christ that we let the light of his love shine through us, from us. I guess in the end, here's the good news of Christmas, whether you can bring yourself to believe it or not. God is in this story. God is in this story. Not just the teller of the tale, not just the author, but in the very middle of it. That's what we Christians claim at Christmas. That God is Emmanuel, or that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. If you consider that claim, it is absolutely astonishing. And it should make you overwhelmed with the thought of the type of God who has revealed himself in a manger to two inexperienced parents as a child. Unbelievable. And here he is in the most hidden, unsuspecting of places, surrounded by dust, by stench, before two inexperienced parents who are entrusted, who God has entrusted himself to in order to do something 
transformative in the world. To love the world completely and wholly. Yes, up to the cross and in the resurrection, but to continue beyond that. To continue all the way to the end. Where Christ himself comes, as he always has, to be with us. To be with us, his people, his creation. And as we look back on that story, our lives are pulled to that place too. Where unthinkable power coincides with unimaginable vulnerability. And we know that we can believe in a God who will say to everything that we could possibly imagine or encounter or experience, I know. I'm with you. The God of creation takes on human flesh, and we who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Thanks be to God that that is true. Worship band, you can come up. And I have a few words that come to mind as I think about where you might be in this, with this story, what to do with it. And I don't know your story. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what, you, what is holding you back. I don't know what, is, what has kept you from imagining that, that this is your story too. But I guess the claim that I want to make is that in a way that doesn't matter. God has come to us in the person of Jesus. But what I also want you to believe and to know and to imagine is that there is a God who chose to come in the form of a child in order to show you and to show me and to show the world what love is like. So if you want to know what love is like, look at the person of Jesus. If you want to encounter and experience a love that knows no bounds, it is the love of Christ. It is what you are looking for. It is what I am looking for. It is what we need. So may this Christmas you experience and encounter the God who continues to come to us and move toward us. We're going to respond in a few different ways, and I just kind of want to add on to what Daniel just said. If you are hearing about this Jesus for the first time, or maybe it's for the 18th time, and you're realizing, I don't actually know that Jesus that he's talking about, I would urge you, like, don't wait. Jesus came to give us freedom and to help us, show us how to live life to its fullest, to its most abundant. Why would you wait for that when you can have that tonight? So talk to the person who brought you, who knows Jesus, they can introduce you or come and talk to me after the service or talk to Daniel. Don't wait to know that Jesus. He's, he's, he's right there waiting to offer you the gift that could be yours. And the second way we're gonna respond now is also kind of like the, the wise men and the shepherds who when they met this Jesus, they brought great gifts, extravagant gifts to him. And so we um, unashamedly bring gifts in every single worship service that we have together because it's a way that we worship. It's a way that we show our adoration and our submission. So we'll be receiving an offering during this next song. A bag will go past you. 
um, feel free to, there's an envelope, I think, in the back of your chair as well if you want to use the envelopes. And then we're going to stand and sing. We're going to open our mouths and declare our worship together again to this Jesus who we've heard about tonight.